You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose podcast. For more sermons and content, visit sojournmontrose.org. We've spoken, we're now seven chapters in to 1 Corinthians, and, and I think what we should see or what we should have noticed up to this point um, is that seven chapters in, the core issue of this book, the core issue of this letter that Paul writes to this young five-year-old church in Corinth is the issue of identity. There's a new identity that comes upon the believer in Jesus that, the, that, that it is, is wholly consuming. It wholly overtakes everything that we used to be and it makes us something entirely different. The Bible says that the old has gone and the new has come when we are saved by Jesus. And yet the reality is that when we are saved by Jesus, there is still very much of that old man within us. There is still very much of that old woman within us. There is still so much of what we've been brought up to know and understand that we have to now wrestle with in light of our new identity in Jesus. And so all of those things that used to define us now take a back seat to the fact that we are followers of Jesus. And if the core issue of this letter is identity, then the core conflict within this particular chapter, chapter 7, and the sections that will come after this, is the conflict between your selfish identity that you have had since birth, rooted in yourself, versus your new Christ-given identity that is rooted in Jesus. And so... As we've read up to this point, if you've been with us the past couple of weeks, what Paul has essentially been saying is, listen, brothers, sisters, followers of Jesus, new men, new women in Jesus, don't abuse sex in the pursuit of your old self. Don't abuse marriage in the pursuit of your old self. Don't divorce your spouse in pursuit of your old self, your selfishness. Don't covet the lives of other people among you. Don't look at others and desire their life out of selfishness. Don't pursue marriage in the pursuit of your selfishness. And today we get to address the issue or the life situation of singleness. And before we even get really started, I want to make a couple of disclaimers. I've got four of them. I couldn't whittle it down to three. (laughs) I want to make four disclaimers because in addressing this issue, I know a couple of things. I know, one, that the vast majority of our church is currently single. And two, I'm walking on delicate ground generally. So let me give you the, the disclaimers. First is this one. Singleness, depending on who you are or your life stage, can be either honorable, right, something to be celebrated, or it can be dishonorable, something to be mocked. This passage is a mercy to us this morning because it addresses both. Second disclaimer, there are a vast many situations and reasons, right, a vast many situations, a vast many reasons for why we may happen to be single this morning. And I won't be able to address every nuance specifically. However, 
I hope that in Paul's words we find exhortation, comfort, and application that is relevant for every nuance. Meaning you might have to do a little homework. That's all I'm saying. Third, almost nothing I say will be easy to process or a quick fix. But it is the way of Jesus people. And Jesus people, when they follow Jesus, are promised a more abundant life. That is true of every life circumstance. And so though Paul's words may be counter, everything that the world has told us will bring satisfaction, will bring joy, will bring pleasure and meaning and fulfillment. Let's agree right now to trust and follow Jesus as opposed to contemporary wisdom. And here's the fourth and final disclaimer. I know that some of us have been hurt by the way the church has either explicitly or implicitly spoken about singleness. And so for those of you who are here this morning bearing those wounds, I'm sorry. This passage absolutely dignifies you and in no way implies that because you are single, you are somehow second class. So with those four things said, with those four things in mind, let's dive into our text this morning. Starting in verse 25, hear the word of the Lord. This is what it says. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. A couple of things, again, before we get into the nitty gritty and the details, let's Hear what Paul is saying in that single verse. He's talking to the betrothed. So there's a different culture in play here, right? You would arrange marriage very early in life as a means, as a way of securing financial security, particularly for the young girls, the young women in your household. And yet the reality is that they're still far off from the time of marriage. So for all intents and purposes... Paul is speaking to those who are single, those who are not yet married. So whether you are single and don't have prospects of being married, or whether you are single but engaged to be married, Paul is saying, this is to you. But he also says this, he says, I have no command from the Lord. So what he's saying is, when you read what I'm about to say, you're not going to find, I didn't hear sort of the the booming voice of God speak to me audibly, right? This is not dictated from Him, and yet... I'm giving you my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. So hear me clearly. What Paul is not saying is, hey, this is no longer scripture. This is no longer authoritative. But he's saying that as an apostle, someone who has been responsible for the founding of the church, as someone who the Spirit dwells within, this is my judgment and it is trustworthy. And then he says this, I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. He goes on to say, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. That's good to know. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. 
The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. So here's what's happening here. If you're single this morning... Right? You walked in the room and you saw the topic or you heard the topic, you heard the verses read, right? Maybe, just maybe, you, you were already sort of a, a shaken up Coke bottle, right? When it comes to this pressure of, of being single, this pressure of feeling like your singleness is a problem that needs to be solved, and maybe you have that pressure internally, right, something that you've imposed upon yourself because of your desire for marriage, or maybe it's an external pressure, either someone in the church or someone in your home or someone in your life or someone in the culture has put pressure on you to think that, again, your singleness is a problem that needs to be solved. If that's you this morning, then this text should feel like someone just slowly cracked the top of that lid. Like the pressures being let out, right? If your singleness this morning is, has been shouting at you, right? I, whether it's been for weeks, whether it's been for days, whether, maybe it's been for years, right? Paul right now is graciously, mercifully turning down the volume. Essentially, Paul says, look, calm down. It doesn't matter if you're single or if you're married. Neither the single nor the married serves the Lord more, but each has a gift from the Lord of which that gift, the goal of that gift, is holiness. And that's why Paul frames this whole question that the Corinthians have, right? Do I serve serve God better as a married person or as a single person? Because if I'm married, I'm concerned that I need to be single. And if I'm single, I'm concerned that I need to be married so that I can be more holy. And Paul says, no, 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 listen. Pause. And he reframes their thinking. He says, I think that in view of the present distress, what is the present distress? Well, he explains it later on in the passage, doesn't, doesn't he? Verse 29, he says, the appointed time has grown short. He says, listen, we, what used to be all-consuming for us was this life, right? This 80 years, if we're lucky, right? That used to be all-consuming. That was, that was the sum total of what we could expect from our sentient experience, right? Was whatever time we have right here. Now, Paul says, listen, that's changed for you. This experience, what we thought was everything that we could possibly hope to experience in this life, in this sentient reality, has now gotten much shorter. This is what the Bible also goes on to call a brief mist, a brief vapor, because what we've come to find out, not only in light of the Bible, but in light of Jesus, is that there is an eternity for us that is all the more great, all the more wonderful, all the more eternal, all the more all-consuming than this. And so you should live this in light of this. And so Paul says, listen, 
there's a more important reality at hand than our marital status. Because it's not our marital status that matters, it's our redemptive status. It's who are we in Christ. So Paul's main focus is if you're single, are you growing in holiness and love? If you're married, are you growing in holiness and love? Paul's counsel to both marrieds and to singles is this. Don't get married, don't get single because someone tells you to. Whether it's a voice in your family, a voice in your head, a voice in the church, or a voice in culture. Marriage and singleness are both good gifts, but neither of them are ultimate gifts compared to the redemptive gift of identity in Jesus. And so listen, I, I, you know, I kind of, I answered a question for everybody in the room last week. How do I know if I'm called, right? A lot of people in here that are currently single that would say, well, I'm, I'm certainly not called to singleness. Well, my response and Paul's response to that is, well, are you currently single? And if the answer to that question is yes, then you're called to singleness. I don't know how long that season is going to last. I don't know if that's something that the Lord has for now until you die or whether that's a brief moment. But the reality is that if you are currently single in the economy of the church, in the economy of the gospel of Jesus, you are called to that singleness in this moment. In the same way that those of us who are married are called to be married. Each of them with their difficulties. And so let me just let me just kind of back out for a minute and let's just think about this on a practical level. For those of us that are single in the room, have you ever noticed the differences in how married people talk about singleness and how single people talk about marriage? I mean, really. It's quite funny. In fact, it's the source of the majority of our comedy, is it not? Married people often think about being unmarried and they're jealous of singles, right? So you have these movies like The Hangover where it's like, okay, I just get to just be unmarried basically for a weekend, right? Where I get to go and fulfill all of my wildest dreams, all of my wildest passions that I so enjoyed when I was single and, and shh, nope, nobody tell anyone. Because joy and life and fulfillment, they don't come from being married. They come from your freedom. They come from pursuing your fleshly desires. They come from at the expense of everybody else, not for the good of everybody else. Or you have the opposite, right? Where you have the lovable sort of dweeb, right? 40-year-old virgin or whatever, right? Who's, who's like just not, you know, life is just depressing when you don't have somebody else. And the whole catharsis of the movie, the whole, right, the whole, the whole wonderful sort of resolution is that this person finds fulfillment in another person, right? So marriage is, right, not this thing to be escaped, but this thing to be pursued at all costs. And that will, when we find it, will be that sort of proverbial ride off into the sunset, right? And singles watch that movie and go, oh. And married people watch that movie and go, What?
And so, brothers and sisters, the proverbial grass is always greener. So if it's not our marital status that defines us, but our redemptive status, our Jesus status that defines us, how would Paul counsel those of us who are single this morning? Start reading in verse 32. He says this, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. So what's Paul saying? He's saying, listen, if you're single you have an opportunity. An opportunity to be undivided in your devotion to the Lord. There's a freedom that you have. It's kind of funny. And I have to walk carefully here because my wife is walking around in the back. It's kind of funny that Paul says to those who long to be married, I want you to be free from anxiety. And if you're single in the, morning, in the room this morning, you're going, yeah, like whatever, Paul. What do you know? But if you don't think Paul is right, just ask my wife. Paul is saying there's a tension, right, that comes along with marriage, that comes with being married. And it goes something like this, right? My wife has regularly released me to serve the church and the broader work of church planting in the world, that's meant traveling here and there. That's gotten increasingly difficult as we've, as we've had more children, right? But she's gracious and she's wonderful, and so she allows me to still do those things. But the reality is that my ability, my flexibility to be involved in those kinds of endeavors has changed drastically since having a wife and having children. Leaving her behind with the two kids frequently causes me to worry about her, the kids, and how my being gone affects her, right? Beyond that, even in just the normal things of life, right? So even not, not just as a pastor or someone who's sort of involved with ministry at a, at a vocational level, but even just as a normal Christian, right? I'd love to spend more time in God's Word. Some of you go, ooh, did he just confess to that? I'd love to spend more time in God's Word. I'd love to be able to spend more time in prayer. I'd love to be able to spend more time with you. I'd love to be able to spend more time investing in God's mission, more time training leaders and church planters. But listen, God has not called me to sacrifice my marriage and kids on the altar of ministry. Instead, He's called me to give Him my devotion in my situation and to love and steward the gifts and responsibilities that He's given to me in a wonderful marriage and two wonderful children. What Paul is saying is that there is absolutely a limitation in terms of following Jesus that marriage by necessity places on us. And so Paul just says, listen, just be careful with that. He says, if you're single, you're blessedly free. And Peter Another apostle says this in 1 Peter 2.16. He says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. 
So single brother or sister, the gospel shapes what we pursue and how we pursue it. So our thinking needs to shift, right? Like I said, this morning, most of us who are single in the room, most of us, right? Not all of us, but most of us who walked in the room this morning and were single, view it as a problem to be solved. But our thinking needs to shift from looking at singleness as an opportunity to pursue for fulfillment, either in remaining single or in getting married, Singleness, like every life circumstance, is an invitation to find and follow Christ in that situation. So it should go something like this. This is how our thinking needs to change. This is how we should begin to phrase our understanding of our lives with regards to singleness. It should go something like this. I am a Christian. I am saved by the grace and mercy of God to do what? To live for Him and to love others. And I happen to be single. So how do I do this? Live for God and love others in my singleness. And that's the new pursuit that Paul calls them into starting in verse 35. This is what he says. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you. So he's saying, listen, I'm not trying to withhold something from you. I'm not trying to withhold marriage from you. In fact, I've said quite clearly that if you marry, it's not sinful. If you choose to be married, if you follow through on your engagement, right? Hopefully I'm not breaking up any marriages this morning or pending marriages. He's not saying that. He just says, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and what? To secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. And what Paul is saying is that as a single person, your undivided devotion to the Lord looks different and serves the church differently and in arguably more wonderful ways in some ways than even married couples. Paul says these things are for our benefit with one primary goal, undivided devotion to the Lord. So the gospel shapes what we pursue, devotion to the Lord, and then how we pursue that within our life circumstance. So let me let me just talk to two different groups here, right? There's there's one of two realities if you're single this morning. You are single and you are seeking to remain single or you are single and you're seeking to be married. I want to talk to each group individually for a second. Because again, right, the gospel changes what we pursue, but it also changes how we pursue that thing. So listen, Paul has given us freedom this morning to pursue marriage or to pursue singleness. He's given us that freedom. Where he has not given us freedom is how we pursue those things. Which is in devotion to the Lord. So listen, the reality is that some of us in the room this morning are single and we are pursuing marriage. And I just want to ask you two questions. If you're single and you're pursuing marriage, is it primarily because you can't bear the thought of being alone? Or is it because you want to give yourself away to someone as a tangible picture of God's word, God's love? And here's the thing, right? Be honest with yourself. 
it's real easy to say, well, of course, the second one. But be honest with yourself. Is your pursuit of marriage more about self-fulfillment than about Christ's exalting? Because the gospel changes not only what we pursue, but how we pursue it. And if you're single this morning and you're pursuing singleness, meaning you want to remain single, two questions for you. Is it primarily because you're self-absorbed and don't want anyone or anything to make any demands on you other than your selfish appetite? Is it primarily because you can't stand the thought of being obligated to something or someone else? Or, or is it because you want to give yourself wholly over to God, to His Word, to His people, and to His mission? Because one of those honors God and one of them doesn't. See, whether you're pursuing singleness as a single or whether you're pursuing marriage as a single, there are selfish reasons for both and there are Christ-honoring, Christ-exalting reasons for both. And the call is the same for both of you, to pursue Christ and His glory in your pursuit of either singleness or marriage. You and your singleness, whether of gift, whether of choice or of circumstance, is a gift to God, to His people, and to the world around you. And so listen. If you're single and want to stay single because you don't want to be obligated to anyone or have any greater degree of responsibility, guess what? If you're a follower of Jesus, being single doesn't give you a pass on that. It doesn't, right? Like if you're a Christian in the room, right? If you're a disciple of Jesus, meaning you're someone who follows Jesus, what did Jesus do? Let's remind ourselves, Jesus was single, right? Jesus was single, right? What did he do in his singleness? Was it about like, man, I just got to find peace and fulfillment. Like I, this whole carpenter thing isn't enough for me. I'd really like to you know, have a different vocation where I'm more sort of admired universally. I'd like for crowds to cheer my name and, and uh, I'd like then to, to find a wife who's sort of at the same socioeconomic status as me and then I'd like to kind of retire to the outskirts of Bethlehem, you know, find a nice place in the suburbs and live a quiet life with my three and a half kids and a uh, white picket fence in relative obscurity. Or... Did this man that you claim to be a follower of, a disciple of, come and give himself wholly over to the other? Right? Jesus was single. So all of the freedom, right, that we believe comes with singleness, right? That we're like, oh man, it's the best. You can do whatever you want, whenever you want. If you want wings at 11 o'clock at night, the Phoenix is open and they're 50 cents. can do that. Jesus was single and yet he was wholly obligated by choice to his people. And so brothers and sisters, if you're single and you're happy with it, but happy with it for the wrong reasons, 
You need to understand that as a follower of Jesus, you owe yourself to people no matter what. You owe yourself to God. You owe yourself to His church and to His mission with your whole self. Right? That's why Philippians 2 says to have this mind among yourselves, right? To not do anything from vain or selfish conceit, but to rather consider others more significant than yourselves, right? And what is that mind of Christ? Well, he says it's the same mind that would lead Christ to step down out of heaven, to take upon himself the form of humanity, right? To dwell in all of the awkwardness that is not only this body, but life within this body, within this broken world, right? He took that upon himself and he became obedient to God, wholly obedient. In fact, he was so obedient that it led him to death, even not just death, but like the most humiliating kind of death on a cross. And it goes on to tell us that it's for that reason. It's because of Jesus' self-giving. It's because of His sacrificial love that He is now exalted to the right hand of the Father. And that's why Jesus says that to follow Him is, is to pick up a cross, is to sacrifice oneself, whether we're single or whether we're married. And if you're single and you want to be married because you desperately want that person in your life who just day by day is going to affirm you, right? Someone to wake up next to you and say, I love you. I'm not saying that's a bad desire. I'm just saying there's someone who's already fulfilled that for you. Because listen, nobody will say about you anything close to what God has already said about you in Christ. Like, do you realize that? Like, listen, I, I don't know where the limit is, right? I know where it is sort of in theory, but, but in reality, like when rubber hits the road, right? At some point, our spouse is going to do something, and it's going to take us right up to that ledge. And we're going to fail to love one another in those instances or we're going to struggle to. And it's going to be hard to wake up and say, I love you. Or maybe you'll wake up and say it, but it'll sound more like, I love you. But Jesus, every day, every waking moment, every even when you are asleep, is telling the Father that He loves you, that you're His, that He'll never abandon you, that He'll never forsake you, that He'll always be there for you, that He'll always love you. In His Word, He's written that time and time again. Don't fear. My steadfast love endures forever. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I love you. I love you how you are. While you were yet sinners, I died for you I love you. Or maybe it's not so much the words of affirmation, but you just really desperately want someone that's committed to you, someone that won't let you down. But again, nobody will ever commit to you the way that God in Christ is committed to you. God has said already, He says, look, I've seen it every, I've seen everything, every part of your life, every nook and cranny, every deepest, darkest secret that even most likely you won't tell your spouse until probably a few years down the road at least, right? 
every single bit, not only of what you have done, not only what you are doing, but what you will in the future do, and I still choose you. I still die for you. I still actively live at the right hand of the Father, saying prayers into His ear for you. I still actively sustain you by my grace. I still give you my Holy Spirit. I still am preparing a place for you in which you will dwell with me. Ain't nobody else providing that. I don't care what billionaire you lock up. Maybe it's not the words of affirmation. Maybe it's not the commitment. Maybe it's just having some stability. Knowing what to expect. But listen again, nobody will offer the stability that God in Christ offers you. There's nobody that in the storm of your life has the wherewithal, the power, the ability, and the knowledge of the right time to say to that storm, peace be still. There is no other cleft of the rock that is so protected, that keeps us so safely, that keeps us stable in the midst of life's difficulties. Why do you think David, who had a pretty rough life, rough go of it, if you remember our sermon series in 1 Samuel, why do you think so often he's regularly reminding himself, confessing to himself, God, you're my refuge, you're my rock, you're my shelter, you're my, it's in your presence that I'm going to find peace, it's in your presence that even though my kingdom is a mess, even though my army is gone, even though everybody hates me, Saul wants my head, right? Even in all of these circumstances, I've, I've, I've betrayed another man's wife, I've slept with her, I've tried to have him killed, right? Like, in all of that, God, you are my stability, you're my refuge, you're my rock. He's not looking at his wife, Michael. He's not even looking at Bathsheba in that moment. He's looking to God. Maybe it's not the words of affirmation. Maybe it's not commitment. Maybe it's not stability. Maybe it's sacrifice, right? Like someone who really just wants to give themselves for you. Well, I don't need to explain that, do I? Christ literally gave his life for you, right? So, so no matter who you stand in front of, maybe one day God grants you the gift of marriage. And they say, oh, honey, I'll die for you. Guess what? Jesus beat them to it. Or maybe, right? Maybe it's none of those things. All, all of those things are good, and some of them maybe even pragmatic, but maybe it's like you just, you just have this ethereal, like, I want eternal love. Nobody can love you eternally. No person can love you eternally. That's why you say these words, right? This is, this is what you say when you get married. Until death do us part. Because what happens? Death inevitably parts us, right? The things of this world will pass away is what Paul says. And he's talking specifically about marriage, the institution of marriage. So listen, when you get to heaven, you're not going to be like, where's my wife? You're going to be like, that is the glory of God. I've never beheld anything more beautiful. I've never beheld anything more wonderful. I've, I've never wanted to be more consumed with anything else in all of my life, right? That's what's going to happen there. So the things of this world, these institutions, these things, they're temporary. 
And so Paul is calling you single not to betray what is eternal for that which is temporary. Don't do it. So brothers and sisters, hopefully now we see what Paul means when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Don't waste your singleness chasing someone or something to make you feel strong. Embrace your singleness with the strength of Christ's love that will always and forever overpower any even minute taste of human love, great or small. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Again, God, grateful to be gathered together. Grateful for your love for us. Grateful, Lord, that you sustain us, sustain us in all of life's circumstances. And so, Lord, I pray for those of us in the room who are single this morning. I pray, Father, that we who are married would be better companions to them. Lord, that we would not present some fictional picture of untroubled, only glorious marriages, because it's not true. With marriage comes anxiety. In the same way that with singleness comes anxiety. Lord, I pray for those of us who are single for selfish reasons. Pray, Lord, that you'd call us all together out of our selfishness, including those of us who are married. And I pray for those who are single by circumstance. Father, that we would view our present reality in light of eternity. Lord, that there is an eternal satisfaction that we will experience for ages and millennia beyond the scope of what this life has to offer. Lord, don't let us trade that glorious reality to come for some present, momentary, brief satisfaction. And as we come to your table, remind us, Lord, that you do in fact sustain us primarily through the person, the work of your son Jesus, whose body was broken and blood was shed so that we might experience the grace of your sacrifice, commitment, eternal love, and sacrifice on our behalf. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.